Good morning, Orangewood. Wow. How's everybody this morning? Is it not another beautiful day that God has given to us? Is this not the place to live? I mean, it's been amazing. Wintertime, I pulled out the uh, camel hair jacket. Um, Loved the jacket, a little warm. Got it through the early service. So I had to say, you know, it's just too nice here. So uh, um, I have a brother who lives in Buffalo. Pray for him. And you, do you know what we do? I know, it's true. You know what we do? Uh, we send pictures from our phone. We take pictures of, like, the weather, you know? And it's cruel on my part. I know it is. But it's, like, sunny and 75 for, like, every day listed, you know? And I send it to him, say, hey, sorry, bro. And he sends me one back, like, negative seven, you know? I mean, oh, my goodness. The other day, I'm not kidding you, I went on to see my hometown. It was negative 29. Who lives in that place? See, we're the smart folks, you know? We're the blessed folks, the folks who know where to go. But uh, listen, no matter where we live, no matter who we are, the most important is whose we are. And what great news about a God who loves, a God who is everywhere, a God who blesses uh, not just here, this is pretty darn nice, uh, but everywhere, even in Buffalo. And it's true. The good news even goes there. Amen? It's true. Hey, uh, we, uh, we began the year with a sermon series entitled, Averting the Spiritual Cliff. So we began the year this way as our leaders in Washington are, are struggling to make sure that our country is averting the fiscal cliff. We started off to say, wouldn't it be great for us, for the church, and for God's people to, to stop as we begin our year and say, how do we avert the spiritual cliff? How do we live our lives in ways that make sense and have meaning and, and, and really can tell a story and not just averting the spiritual cliff that I have such a propensity to fly off of? As we began the series, uh, we began by looking at the one word of transforming, that God is, is transforming us through some amazing good news that he loves us and he's for us and his son has come to rescue us. And he wants to give us life and life abundantly. And he wants us to to be transformed. To avert the spiritual cliff, he says this, is that we shouldn't be uh, conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. That basically, as his people, there's some unplugging that we need to do. Unplugging those things from the world that, that will shape us more like them and less like Jesus. Unplugging ourselves from those things that would take away our lives and plug in. That God has given us uh, the privilege of, of plugging in to his son, Jesus, the, the good news of the gospel. That as we plug in our lives, we are transformed. We become more like him. And the amazing thing is, as we're transformed, it's actually his life through us. So transforming. The second week we looked at was flourishing. Flourishing. That, that God has made every single one of you in his image. Man, you have such worth. But he's created you in his image to flourish. He's created you in his image and set you where you are to flourish. Now, now some of you might be thinking, well, I've heard this before at church. Is this kind of some of that health, wealth, and prosperity stuff that some people talk about? If you love God and give him lots of money, all these great things happen to you? No, I don't think that's even in the Bible. I, I, quite frankly, I find that repugnant. I'm talking about flourishing as God has talked about flourishing, that as we live our lives in Christ Jesus, we can flourish anywhere. Here's some really good news. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what circumstances you're in, 
God says, I want to be with you. I'm God with us, Emmanuel. I want to give you life and life abundantly right where you are. So flourishing is not so much circumstantial. It's more relational. It's more of whose we are and, and walking with him. And we get to the third part of, of uh, this week, avoiding this spiritual cliff. And we got one word. It's giving. We avert the spiritual cliff by giving. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, man, here comes yet another sermon on giving. I'm really glad they gave the offering already so I don't have to be guilt in to throw a couple more dollars in. This sermon really has very little to do about that kind of giving. Let me say it this way. God doesn't want your stuff. God doesn't want your stuff. He wants your life. He wants something so much more, and he's offering so much more than just a token of, of our stuff that we give to him, that he's created us in his image. And listen, because he is a giving God, because that is who he is in his being, he says to avert this spiritual cliff, to really live, is to live a life that's marked by giving. Giving is an amazingly important point in averting this spiritual gift. And we're going to find out that truly it is true. That's a little redundant. It is true. Uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But here's where you got to really lean into this, because this is where the message may be a little different than you thought. You see, it's the what that we give. It's the why that we give. It's the how that we give that makes all the difference in the world. All right, listen to this. Not many pastors may say things like this. Write it down. Listen to this. Better not to give than to give wrongly. I'm telling you, in God's sight, in God's economy, according to God's word, not my opinion, that he's saying that it's better not to give than to give wrongly. So we got to make sure that we know what we're giving, why we're giving, and how we're giving. I think it's kind of funny. In this service, this was the Sunday that we didn't have plates. <laughs> So, so uh, we had a scramble. So maybe there's something God's telling us here with that. Let me give you an example of what I mean. It was Valentine's Day. It was Valentine's Day and a good friend of mine brought to his wife an amazingly beautiful bouquet of flowers. Now, now this wasn't just like some bouquet of flowers you get like by the side of the street. And those are nice. Uh, get those if you want to for your spouse. And these aren't the ones you scramble into Publix at the last minute and you get the last ones there and you're like trying to make sure they're all standing up right, right before you give your wife. No, this is a really beautiful bouquet of flowers. And he, he brought them to his wife. He had the right gift, great gift. He had it on the right day, Valentine's Day. But that right gift on the right day really became an amazing disaster. I mean, a da disaster of epic proportions. So you may want to say, well, what happened? I mean, come on. He, he brought his wife a beautiful, wonderful gift. He brought it to her on a, on a perfect day. Why did he mess it up? And why was it just about a disaster? Well, it's where he got the flowers. You see, the flowers arrived at work that he was working in. And they arrived at work for someone else. You see, another husband who loved his wife gave and paid for this beautiful bouquet of flowers, sent it to the office, a wonderful card saying how lovely she was and how much he was in love with her. And it came to her at her office space. Well, there was one problem. She had already gone home. 
So she's left, and now here delivered is a wonderful bouquet. If I mentioned it was a beautiful bouquet of flowers, and, you know, flowers perish, right? She's already gone home. You know, what do you do with day-old flowers? She said, I'll, I'll bring them to my wife. He made one small error. He forgot to change out the card. And as she read the card, she realized, it's the wrong woman. I'm getting a gift that was given to someone else. He's not even the right owner of these flowers. Now, I don't tell you the name of this person because I trying to protect him, but I do want you to know he's an elder in this church, all right? So, so pray for this church. This is who we're getting led by. And let me tell you about the pastor. Now, let me tell you, I mean, do we need like, do we need like giving guidelines? Now, women, let me just talk to you for a minute. Do guys need giving guidelines? Is it not true? Now, quit elbowing your spouse or elbowing your boyfriend. It's true. We give gifts for ourselves, don't we? All right, how many of you guys have gotten something from a place called Victoria's Secret as a gift for you? Huh? Don't raise your hand. That's a little embarrassing. But let me tell you what I did. Katie and I were uh, early in our marriage. It was uh, Christmas. We didn't have much means. And, uh, you know, we just had a few uh, small gifts under our Charlie Brown tree. But I was really excited about the gifts that I got Katie that year. Practical, good gifts. That year, I gave her two things. A crock pot and an alarm clock. I kid you not. Those are the things that I thought would really tell my wife, Katie, I love you, honey. It's Christmas. I didn't realize what I was telling her was this. Get up early and start making dinner. (laughs) Somehow our marriage survived that. Here's the point I want you to hear. There are gifts. There are gifts that we give to God that he rejects. Did you hear that? I mean, there are things that we give to God that it's, it's, it's worse than just re-gifting. Uh, that God will say, and you shouldn't even give it. Just leave it in your pocket. Don't even bother. I want you to know there are gifts that we could give to God that not only does he reject, it kind of angers him. I think all of us should stop and say, whoa, I want to know those gifts. There's also gifts that we give to God that he proudly displays. There's gifts that we can give to God that he loves and that that he loves to to display and to show the whole world um, the gifts that his children have given to them, to him. And so we want to know what are those and make sure that we give him those kind of gifts to show us this, to show us the fact that that, uh, uh, God is a God who... uh, can not only reject gifts if they're given wrongly, but also receive gifts. We're going to look to God's word. We're going to look at two passages. We're going to look to the Psalms. It's like the, the hymn book of the Bible. If you just open your Bible up right in the middle, you're probably there in the Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 50. And we're also going to look to a minor prophet. Uh, prophet is someone who spoke for God. All the writers of the Old Testament and New speak for God. It's called a minor prophet, not because he was short or, or, or he didn't have much to say. It's just the volume of his work. It wasn't as big as others. And we're going to look to these two passages. And as we look, I want, you to, I want you to put on your thinking caps and I want you to ask God to speak in a way because we got to know what are the gifts that God rejects and what are the gifts that God receives and enjoys and, and displays. So let's look at God's word and look at uh, Psalm 50. 
verses 7 through 15, and then 23, and then over to Micah 6, 6 through 8. If you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen, or they'll also be there for you in your bulletin. Listen to God's word. God writes, hear, O my people, uh, those that are his, the Israelites, and I will speak, O Israel. He says, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Wow, what a, what a great way to start this. I mean, it should have everybody's attention. God is saying, I'm your God. You're my people. Listen up. I got something against you. And you need to hear what it is. Verse eight, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. But I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, or in other words, all the cattle, they're mine. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields. It's mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world in its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon him. And really this, this word here is saying to us, trust him and trust him or call upon him when in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice, those are the things that glorify me. Those are the things that I want that that tell of my love and my story. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Let's turn to Micah. Micah 6, verse 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Here's a realization. What do you bring into God's presence to make sure that he's going to be for you and like you shall i come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old will the lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil now here here's the deal it sounds so foreign to us but what he's saying is this is if god if i if i bring a really large percentage of my income if i bring my net worth How much of my net worth do I need to bring so God will be pleased with me? And he he knew that he had to be covered for his sin. So look what it says. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? Can you give more than that? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man and woman, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? It's to do justice. It's to love kindness. It's to walk humbly with your God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the amazing way that you love us and provide for us. And we thank you that you're a God who will tell us that what you require from us And God, you're even greater than that. Because not only do you tell us what you require from us, you provide it for us. And God, we thank you that you're a God who who wants our hearts, not our stuff. 
I thank you that you're a God that's so grand and big that we can't give you something to leverage your heart. You have to come and give us what we need. So God, I pray for your glory. This is what this verse is all about, what your word is all about, your glory, that the spirit of living God would come and be with us. Be with us in a way that you would be teacher through a broken vessel like me. Father, that the things that I say that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus, that you would use those things to make us more like your son, our savior. But the things that I say that are wrong are just my opinion. May those things fall away and be the first things forgotten. God, come. Come in a way that challenges our hearts, in a way that fills our souls, in a way that gives you glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God's word, it tells us from start to finish that it's better not to give anything to God than to give him the wrong thing. It's better not to give anything to, to God or even it's, it's better not to give anything than get the right thing at the wrong time or for the wrong reason. It's dangerous. What he's saying is this. He says, you know, you can have confidence in your gifts. Uh, you can have confidence in what you're giving to the Lord. And, and you might start thinking that, that you're justified because of your gifts or, or you're right with God because of your gifts. You see, it's really, really dangerous because what God is saying is this, is that if we respond to God and we give stuff to God, he's saying that that could be your hope. And I never want your hope to be in that. It's very, very dangerous. See, God, there's gifts that God rejects. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, you're going to see two main points. Gifts that God rejects, and there'll be some things we're going to talk about with that. Gifts that God displays or receives and loves. And the first thing is this. What kind of gifts are the gifts that God says, uh-uh, no thank you. Take it back. Don't want it. No good. It's gifts that are given from the wrong owner. Look again at Psalm 50. Psalm 57 through 11, Jesus, or God's going to tell us through his word three times, mine, mine, mine. He's basically telling us that he owns everything. There's nothing that God doesn't own. He says, hey, you want to talk about your, your goats and your bulls? Listen, everything that's in the fields, it's, it's mine. Everything that's in the skies, it's It's mine. Everything that's in your lives, everything that's in your bank account, everything that's in your closet, everything that's in your drawers, everything that's, that, that you drive, everything God is saying, mine, mine, mine. Now, we could all go to this two-year-old nursery right now and hear mine, mine, mine. And that's how selfish people are. We want to c- control everything. But we know with those two-year-olds, they're just claiming ownership of that which is not rightfully theirs. That's just how sinful we are. But when God is saying, mine, 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 he, he, he's not uh, just trying to claim ownership of everything, trying to be an egomaniac. God is just revealing the truth. He's the sovereign king that owns it all. There's not one thing that we will ever give to God that he doesn't already own. You see, the gifts that God rejects are gifts of ownership. It's like those flowers, right? Those flowers, why was it rejected? Well, well, the giver of the gift didn't know the owner of the gift. And he was giving a gift with the wrong owner in mind. So that's why they were rejected. I think of the uh, uh, 
movie, uh, mine, mine, mine. What movie do you think of? Parents with kids. Mine, mine, mine. Which one? Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. God's got a little different view of that. I own it all. Don't you think for a moment, don't be ridiculous to think that there's something you're going to give me that I don't already own. C.S. Lewis tells a story this way. It's a great way of telling it. He's, he tells a story in mere Christianity uh, trying to make the point that anything you give God, he already, he already owns it. He tells a story of a little girl that wanted to give her dad a uh, birthday present. So she goes to her dad and says, hey, dad, will you give me a sixpence, which uh, is a currency over there in, in, in England. So it's basically saying this. It's like a daughter coming up to a dad and say, hey, daddy, can you give me 10 bucks? Well, why do you need 10 bucks? Well, your birthday's coming up, daddy, and, and I want to buy you a birthday present. So, so what does the dad do? I mean, he's opened up his wallet. He can't wait to give his daughter this, this gift. He can go. This is awesome. And he just loves the joy that she runs out to buy her daddy a present. Comes back with a present, gives it to her. Says, daddy, I got you a gift. And the dad delights in that. Thank you so much. But Lewis says, he's an idiot if he thinks that he's any richer the sixpence, none the richer. He, he, he gave her what he already owned. And so the whole point was this ownership deal. So I, we got to know the gifts that God rejects are gifts that we think we give God that we own. This morning as I was having my quiet time reading God's word because I love Jesus and that's what lovers of Jesus do. We read God's word early in the morning so we can tell the whole world about that and feel self-righteous. No, 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 that's not right. But as I was reading the story of Jacob, it was in Genesis 28. And in Genesis 28, 22, here's what he says. This is very, very important. He says, all that you give me, Lord, all that comes from your hand, all that you provide, I will provide a tenth back to you. So here's the point. Ownership. I got nothing that God didn't give me. I will only give that which God gives me. Here's the point. I can't bargain with God. He owns it anyway. My 10% is really declaring to God, I am in love with you. I believe in you. You tell me to do this as a response to your love. I'm not trying to bargain with you. Listen, don't give anything, not one dime to God that's yours. Nothing, nothing. Don't give it. Don't give God anything that's yours. But everything that's his, find out what he wants to do with it. So God, gifts that God rejects given from the wrong owner. Gifts that God rejects given for the wrong reasons. Let's look at verse 12. Um, if I were hungry, God says, would I not try, would I not tell you? For the world and all its fullness is mine. God needs nothing. Did you hear that? God needs nothing. He is self-sufficient in and of himself. There is not one thing that God lacks. <laughs> He's got it all. Now, now, just hit pause and let that soak over you for a minute because it is true. And if it is true, we have to realize how gracious it is that he even enters into relationship with us. God is not up in heaven right now wringing his hand and saying, oh, gee, I hope they give, give something. I hope they like me. I would feel better about myself if they felt more about me. That's not God. He's all sufficient. So he's saying, you think I'm hungry? 
You're giving me bulls and goats because you think that there's something missing? Are you crazy? You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to get God in his back pocket. They're trying to get God a little indebted to them. Hey, I'm going to give God a nice little gift here. And you know what? Then I got this, this genie God that I could pull out and just kind of remind him, hey, look at the gifts that I've given you. You now owe me. You can't do it. Did you uh, see the uh, uh, episode of Seinfeld? I've added this since the early service. Uh, you see the episode of Seinfeld where uh, he was given an Armani suit? Does anybody remember that episode? Come on, Jesse, don't shake your head, no. Who was the guy that gave him the Armani suit? Anybody remember that guy's name? It's supposed to be congregation participation, and I'm out on a limb, and I'm dying. All right, here's the point. Thanks for your help. Somebody gave him a suit, a Marnie suit. He always said, Jerry, where's the suit yet? Jerry, Jerry, you got the suit? And he now felt like he owned a little piece of Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, you got to go to dinner with me. I gave you a suit. Jerry, Jerry, you got to do this. I gave you a suit. Jerry, I provided for you. You got to provide for me. It was tit for tat. And God is basically saying, it's never tit for tat for him, ever. There's nothing, you, you, can, you can give everything you have. And God owes you nothing. They gave for the wrong reasons to get God in their back pocket. They gave for the wrong purposes. Verse 13. He's basically saying, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? What in the world is going on there? You see, they were giving these bulls and these goats to cover over their sins. And I think that they were really saying this about God. God, here's what we want to do. We want to come in and we want to, we want to, we want to bring into the temple an animal for you to slaughter, for us to slaughter so that you will forgive our sins. So basically what they're saying is this, God, I want to live my life my own way. I really want to do what I want to do. I, I, I want to, I want to, you know, live in a way that pleases me. I want to call right what I feel is right. And God, I really don't want you to be in my face. I really don't want you to mess with much of my life. There's a lot of areas God hands off, but I do want to bring to you a nice goat and I want to kill that goat because I know that I'm a broken sinner and I just want to appease your wrath. I just don't want you to take a big stick out and start beating me, God. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I really don't want you to, don't navigate much of my life. I just, just take this goat. Scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it's great, Hebrews 10.4. It says, the blood of bulls and goats, it doesn't take away sins. So you might, some of you who have been around the Bible say, well, wait a minute, this is confusing to me because God says, offer a sacrifice and there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. So why in the world will they bring in all those animals to the temple? Why was there a bloodbath in the temple? What kind of God is this that desires all this blood to be spilled? Why is he now saying, I don't drink the blood. I don't eat the flesh. What's going on? Here's the beauty of it all. What the blood of bulls and goats could never do, the blood of Jesus could. And what the blood of the bulls and goats could never do, they weren't supposed to take away our sins. They couldn't do it. The bloodbath you see in the Old Testament was to point to the one to come. The one whose sacrifice would be sufficient. In Hebrews 10, it says this. It says this about the priest. It says, day after day, they stand in the temple slaughtering and slaughtering and slaughtering. And they stand, why? Because it just doesn't work. And Jesus came to the earth and offered one sacrifice and spilled his blood. And guess what he did? He sat down. He sat down because it worked. 
He sat down because it was enough. He sat down because it was sufficient. He said, now sins can be forgiven. Listen, no one here brought a goat today, right? Not one of you brought a, a, a bull. No one, probably in your lifetime, has, has slaughtered anything for your sins. We don't, we're, we're too sophisticated for that. We bring tithes. We bring offerings. We bring tokens. And what God is saying is, there's nothing you will ever give that could ever cover up what you've done. Nothing. You can't make peace with me through what you give. I reject it. But there's such good news. There's such good news. There is such good news. Listen, everything, listen, everything, everything that God requires from us, God provides for us. Let that resonate again. Every single thing that God requires from us, God provides for us. See, God's the giver. God gave us the greatest gift, his own son. And the gift of his own son changes everything. Now listen, I want you to know this about God. The bar for God to please God is ridiculously high. Some people think, well, it doesn't matter. God's so merciful and loving. I mean, he's just such an amazing, loving, merciful God. He'll accept anything. Just good intentions is all we need. I mean, all we need to be is just to be like, believe in what we're doing. God demands perfection. He'll never change. He's a just God. Listen, God demands holiness. God, God, because God is holy and separate without sin, there's not one sin that you ever committed, that I ever committed, that God can wink at. They say it's not really a big deal. Everything that is broken and wrong is a huge deal to God because he's holy and because he's just. He has to deal with it. He can't just say, no big deal. We'll just kind of forget about this one. But he's loving and he's good. So everything that God requires, perfection, he provided. He provided a son that was born of a virgin who would come and he would live a life that you and I should have lived, but we didn't. He would live in obedience to Father. He would love the way that we should have loved and he would give the way that we should have give. give. He would be the one for us that the Father requires so that we could be accepted. But there's more. All that God requires, God provides. Not only did he require perfection and Jesus gave it to us, he also provided atonement, payment for sins. He says, I'll come and what the blood of bulls and goats could never do, I will do by hanging on the cross and bleeding and dying for you. What God requires, God provides. He required a sacrifice of infinite agony for yours and my sin. That's why Jesus hung naked on a cross. I mean, that's why the sinless one became sin. So that the Father's wrath could be poured out. And sin could be dealt with once and for all. All that God requires, God provides. So now the response. He rejects those gifts that were given wrongly, but says, because of that, I accept the gifts that bring me glory. 
Gifts that display, uh, gifts that God displays, gifts of thanksgiving. What's it say in verse 14? In verse 23, both of them. God, offer God a sacrifice of saying, of of thanksgiving. Uh, Verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Here's what God's saying. I did it all for you. Quit trying to think you got to do it. The victory's won. The story is awesome. You don't have to. Here's what I want you to give. Thank you. Here's how I want you to live your life now. Thank you. Everything I have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. It's all been done. I am loved and I am free. Thank you, Lord. Give now a sacrifice of thanks. Live your lives with gratitude. How do you guys, uh, what do you guys do before your meal? You say a prayer. Probably most of you say a prayer. What kind of prayer do you say? And is it a lot like mine probably? Sometimes tokens, right? Hey, God, thank you for this food. Really appreciate my daily bread. But you know what? I really appreciate the daily bread because I got a lot more in the, in the refrigerator. I got stuff in the cupboard. And, and I don't really need my daily bread because I'll keep the bread I got for a good week or two if it doesn't go moldy. And really what I'm trying to say is get to the good stuff. Hey, God, you know, here's a little token. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to move on with my life and move on with the meal. And not really realize that sitting before me and, and, and around this table is everything that God has given me. I could take credit for nothing. And sitting before me is a meal I'm about ready to take that, that God himself has provided. And I live my life with token prayers, not just before meals. Most of it. And God says, no, listen, I want you to live every nanosecond of your life grateful that you were made in my image, grateful that you were bought with the blood of my son. I want you to live your life that everything that I required, I provided. Just say thanks. Just live it just with just such leaning forward gratitude. Just say thanks. Live a life of, of thanksgiving. God receives that and he receives gifts of trust. In verse 15, he says that we are to trust him in the dark, to call upon him, to trust him. And for some of you, life is dark right now. For some of you, life has been dark for a really long time. And here's what Heavenly Father says. I want you to give me the great gift you could give me in darkness. And it's this, it's your trust. I I want you to believe in my promises. I want you to believe in my reality that I am with you as God, Emmanuel, more than I want you to believe in your circumstances. More than I want you to believe what is or what is not in your checking account. I want you to believe me more than that marriage that is fractured right now and you're not sure it's going to make it. I want you to believe in me and what I can do through that prodigal son and daughter. I want your trust. And I want it in the darkness. It's amazing what happens when we're in the dark and for a while and our eyes adjust, we can really start to see what is really there. And when we start trusting God in the darkness, and he allows the Holy Spirit to adjust our eyes and we see what's really there. Guess what's there? We realize that God is there too. That God is with us and God is for us. And, and this God is gonna do one of two things. He's either gonna remind us that we're gonna go through this storm together. There'll never be a moment that you're in the dark by yourself. Or he's gonna pull us into the light. But he'll always leave, believe, we'll always be with us. Give him the trust, trust for your salvation. Have you given him the trust for your salvation? What are you resting on? What hope do you have? Do you trust that Jesus was enough? Do you give him trust for your lives? 
Give him gifts of thanksgiving, gifts of trust. Give him gifts that bring him glory. In verses 15 through 23, it uses this word that we're to give him gifts that tell his story. You know, it's amazing about God. It's so beautiful. Scripture tells us that, that he creates everything out of nothing. And you know why he created everything? Listen, he created this whole creation. He created you to display his work. We're his like big art project, the big refrigerator that he wants to put stuff on. To say, look at the way I love. Look at who I am. My grandparents had lots of issues. One was they hung up everything they could find on their walls. Their walls. I mean, I'm serious. You go to their house. It's like there's not like a, hardly a square inch that they didn't have stuff hanging on it. It was, it was amazing. And, you know, they would get most of their stuff at flea markets or, or garage sales. And so everything's hanging on the wall. And they even bought pictures of people they didn't know and hung them on the wall. And it scared me. Who is that, Grandma? Is that somebody I know? No, I found him in a garage sale. <laughs> Felt bad for him. Someone, I bought it for a quarter. It looks good on your wall. Just wanted to display all our stuff. And God wants to do the same. He wants every square inch of creation to say, I want to just display. Listen, it may look like garage sale stuff. And it, it may look like stuff I got at a flea market. But I purchased that one with my son's blood. And these right here, my son died for. And they're beautiful in my sight. And everything that I require of them, I've provided for them. And I want to fill the whole earth with my glory through them. And just display them. And through their brokenness and through their lives. But it's their love and it's the forgiveness with me. People know me. They bring me glory. They say, what a great God. We give him gifts that bring him glory. So now what? Well, Micah 6.8. <laughs> Micah 6.8 says to us, uh, for he has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the God requires of you. Isn't that great? Don't you love verses that say, this is what God requires of you. Yay. Give it to me easy. I want to tell you one thing. It'll show you what God requires of you and how he requires it from your heart. Are you like me? Do you want to tell God what is good? Do you want to tell God what you require of him? That's where we live, isn't it? Don't we live in a time right now that wants to tell God, this is good, this is the way to love, and this is the way to marry, and this is the way to be, and this is the way to live. I mean, we have the audacity right now of looking at God's word and say, oh, that's what it says. But you know what? We know better. We know how to live. I mean, we know better. So we will tell God, this is good. And we'll hold it up and say, woo, we're so smart. And what we require of God. I mean, how about you? I'm so demanding of God. I mean, I want, I want this and this and that. But God says, no, no, no. I'll tell you what's good. And I'll tell you what I require. I want you to do justly. Basically, I want you to do the right thing. I want you to do the right thing. Why? Because I've given you everything that you need for me. Because I am a holy and just God, I want you to respond likely. I want you to do justly. And listen, I want you to love kindness and mercy. I want you to love kindness and mercy because why? I lead with kindness and mercy. Because there's not a nanosecond in your life that I'm not showing you kindness and mercy. 
and you reflect me. I got you hanging up on the wall. I want you to lead with kindness and mercy. But more than any of that, I just have created you to humbly walk with me. Quit trying to earn it. I've done it. Be humble. Walk with me. I don't want your stuff. I want you. And I want to walk with you. Averting the spiritual gift. It's giving. Giving yourself to God because he gave himself to you. Let's pray. Father God, what an amazing father you are. That everything you require from us, and you're God, you can tell us whatever it is. We owe you everything. Everything you require from us, you provide for us. And you provide it for us through your son, our savior. We thank you for the life that now can reign in us by your grace and through his righteous life. For his horrible death. And for the resurrection that now we know that you are a father that loves us giving back to you a sixpence. Our gifts. We don't give you anything you haven't already gotten. You don't already own but you love to hang us up on the walls of creation and say, look at my work. That's my boy. That's my daughter. Father God, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you as father, know your son as savior, may today be the day you would open their eyes. God, if there's anyone here that's giving you gifts to try to earn something or try to cover something, have them stop it. Show them the futility of it and bring them to Jesus. And thank you for an amazing Savior that's enough. His grace is enough. His love is enough. His blood was enough for the foulest sinner like me. And now we can respond and give our lives to you and bring you glory. Come. May we humbly walk with you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.